the podcast, SoundCloud, wherever you're joining us. This is The Deep End Podcast, and I'm so glad to have you with us. Joining us, uh, my name is Tim, pastor with my wife, Cheryl, of Waters Church, North Attleboro. And today we're talking about a severe psychological disorder common to most people in most places. We we don't have a clinical name for it. Psychologists won't agree with this name that I give it, but I call it assignment envy. Don't suffer from assignment envy. What is that all about? We'll talk about it today. This is The Deep End. The Deep End Podcast. Welcome to The Deep End Podcast, brought to you by Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The Deep End is where we go deeper in the scriptures to empower our walk with God. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we're glad you joined us, and we encourage you to be a part of the conversation in the comments below. If you're listening in on SoundCloud or your podcast app, be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's go live to Pastor Tim Hatch as we get started with today's podcast. This is The Deep End. Okay, everybody, welcome in to the Deep End Podcast. This is our weekly Wednesday gathering on the internet. I thank God for the internet because because of the internet, you and I can have a conversation around the Word of God without you leaving your home or your office or wherever you are watching this or listening to this. We call it Bible study on your time. We used to do Wednesday night Bible study in the old days. Today we do it online and it is so much more convenient and we don't have to do kids ministry, which is so very helpful. My name is Tim and joining me again, joining me in the studio this week, please welcome a brand new face, Michael McGarry. Hey, from happy to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. From behind the studio desk to the <laughs> platform desk or whatever you want to say the producer yeah. desk the platform desk mm-hmm. usually directing usually usually directing right and my wife cheryl is back hi honey hello and we are back today again because we are talking about marriage and singleness and all those relative issues uh those issues that so many of our churches members and so many people in just general life are struggling with or have questions about or are considering and, you know, marriage and singleness, these are so important to our lives and who we are. And we want to see it from God's perspective. What does God have to say about these very important issues? And so today we're going to get into it. So that's why Cheryl's here. And then Michael McGarry, one of our producers here at Waters Church, but he is recently engaged. Yes, I am. So congratulations. Ooh. Yeah. It's exciting. exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> you are getting married when? Uh, I'm getting married April 29th. And you remember the date? Yes, I did. Very good. <laughs> That's the most important thing yeah. for the groom. That will be the date for the rest of my life. Just rem- <laughs> just remember the date. That's all yeah. I got to say. Our wedding anniversary is October 14th. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm glad someone remembered. Yeah. I remember. You are the one that forgets in our relationship. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we are very unconventional in that respect. Uh, a couple of news and events uh, updates for you people. Uh, fasting and prayer. Actually, I only have one update. For our church crowd, the people who are watching us on Facebook Live, uh, this doesn't go up on the podcast usually, but fasting and prayer is going to start after lunch Sunday. And it's going to continue uh, all the way to through breakfast Wednesday. So have lunch again on Wednesday. Real easy way to remember, lunch Sunday, lunch Wednesday, eat both. Don't eat between. And we're going to ask as many of you who come to Waters Church or call Waters Church your home to join us. Milford, Woonsocket, North Attleboro, 
and you want to be a part of this whole event, I'm telling you, I just put something up on the blog that you want to read. If you go to our website, waterschurch.org, or Tim Hatch, what is it, Tim Hatch Live? TimHatchLive.com. TimHatchLive.com. Ooh, sounds so professional. Um, it's up on the blog there. You can read it. I want to just give you some uh, information and some, you know, just kind of like tease your appetite uh, for fasting and prayer. It is an essential ingredient to the Christian life and doing it together, I believe, draws you into the community of faith, draws you closer to God. And we want to pray for 2018 to be the best year we've ever had as a church. So that's what's coming up uh, this Sunday. Join us in fasting and prayer and believing God for great things. Let's talk about the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are walking through 1 Corinthians uh, verse by verse. That's what a Wednesday night Bible study used to do. Now we do it here on the podcast or on the Facebook live event. And today we're talking about something I'm going to I'm gonna uh, um, qualify as assignment envy. Uh, warning, it is highly contagious. And it is prevalent in our society, and it is even prevalent amongst Christians. And so we're going to get into the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we've got a lot of Bible verses to go through, but we're going to go through them hopefully relatively quickly each passage. But I want to talk to you about assignment envy because assignment envy will be, will be one of the worst things that can knock you off from what God wants for your life. And it is so so common for people to look at other people's lives, look at the your friend, your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your mother, your dad, whatever, I don't know. You look at someone, you say, man, if I had that life, I would be so much more, I don't know, able, well-off, happier, successful, even Christian-wise. We'd say, man, if I could only have that ministry, I would really be used of God. If I could only be, uh, you know, pastor of a larger church, I'd really be used of God. Or if I could only be, you know, an elder in this church or a small group leader, or if I only had different people in my small group, I could be really used of God. We all fall for this. Yes, guys? Mm. Yes, right. I mean, it's just a common, it's a common contagion in the church. We don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. Let's look at what Paul says right off the bat from this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. He says... Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Notice the word assigned. Mm -hmm. And to which God has called him. Notice the word called. This is my rule in all the churches. So this is not just for the Corinthians. This is for everybody. This is God's rule. This is Holy Spirit-inspired scripture that I believe is um, just, you know, you don't have to interpret this. This is just a blanket statement for the church for all ages. Let each person lead the life God has assigned to him and called to him. Now, remember last week we talked about divorce and remarriage and singleness. And we talked about the fact that there were some Christians in Corinth who wanted to get out of their marriages because they saw sex, the sexual immorality outside of the church. Uh, it was so prevalent and it was so rampant that what they did was they over-responded. They overreacted to it. And so what they actually wanted to do was eliminate sex and sexuality from the Christian's identity altogether. Celibacy was godly, and any kind of sexuality was ungodly because this culture had ru ruined it with its with its over uh, over excesses of it. And so there were the avoiders and the adapters, and we were talking about the avoiders of culture last week in Cor in Corinth. And so Paul gets done saying. Don't get out of your marriage. Don't just jump ship because you suddenly now think because the culture has corrupted sexuality, you need to avoid sexuality. No. And he's talking to married people. And so on the 
on the on the heels of talking to the married people and saying, stay married. Don't let the culture dictate what you do with your marriage. Do godly marriage, one man, one woman for life, uh, uh, and be faithful and be uh, loving and caring toward each other, and stay in it. And then on the heels of that, he says, this is a rule for all people that we should stay in the assignment and the calling God has given us. So there was uh, some temptations in the Corinthian context, and that is what he addresses here in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Then he says, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's what matters. And so in the Corinthian context in the first century, there was this temptation for uh, Jewish Christians to become Gentiles and remove the marks of their circumcision. A very painful process, by mm. the way. <laughs> we don't need to go there, but you know what I'm saying. And then there was this temptation for Gentiles because they thought, well, surely it's more blessed to be a Jew to become circumcised so that they could have the, you know, the circumcision blessing, Abrahamic blessing. And Paul has, if there's one thing Paul has said in all the texts of the Bible that he has written, it is clear that if you are a Christian, you are blessed along with Abraham. Abraham through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true son of Abraham. So we don't have to do this thing where we chase these other forms of living uh, to find to find happiness or to find more fulfillment or to find the blessings from God. It's assignment envy. And it happens not just with, and he's talking about circumcision and non-circumcision. It happens with all kinds of things, even to this day. Uh, some people... Cheryl, we know this. Some people do this with professional church leadership. You and I, we, our jobs are working in the church. And there's a lot of people out there that think, well, man, I wish I could have a job in the church. You know, if I could only be professionally employed as a pastor, then I could really be used of God. <laughs> you know? Right. If they only knew. <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if they only knew, right? right. And, and it's not all that is cracked up to be in many respects. And uh, you and I know firsthand about the many, many challenges over the years, uh, 15 years now here at Waters Church North Attleboro, of leading this church. There were some seasons there where we were done. Oh, yeah. You Definitely. Know, there were hard times and there were some challenges. And if you're not called to pastoral ministry, and you need to understand this, if you're not called to it, don't do it, because you will ruin not just your own life, but the lives of those you lead, and it will hurt many people. It's assignment envy. God can use you in the secular, or whatever you want to call it, non-church vocations, and we need you there. Um, some men are convinced that they should be pastors so that they can be really serving God. Some Americans believe they can only serve the Lord if they become missionaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to go overseas. That's the only way that the the real people who really serve the Lord go overseas. Well, if you're called to it, but, you know, maybe that might be a negative thing for you and the people that you go to, because uh, we actually know a couple families, Cheryl, actually, we won't name names, but we know families who went overseas and tried to serve the Lord in certain contexts that rocked their world. Yeah. And we know one family, they ended up getting divorced, unfortunately. Right. Oh, man, it was yeah, sad. It was sad. And you don't you set yourself up for for failure when you fall for this idea that if I had that kind of life, then God could really use me. This is what was happening in Corinth. I want to say this: if all Christians left secular work to work in the church, the business world, the academic world of our country would suffer because they need Christian witness. Mm. 
We need Christians running businesses. We need Christians in the school systems. If only if Christians only taught in Christian schools, public schools would lose Christian witness. Uh, if every Christian parent homeschooled their children, the public school systems would lose Christian witness with children who love Jesus. If every Christian pastor moved to a biblically centric area of the nation, like there's always like these little pockets of really saturated Christian, you know, communities in the South, particularly, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tennessee is like the most Christian state in the union. It's like 50 percent evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. which is Bible believing Christian. And, you know, I think about it. If every Christian is like, I want to take it easy. I want to go where there's more Christians and everybody moved to Tennessee, then New England and Minnesota and uh, Oregon and California would lose that Christian witness. Yeah. And this is what I'm trying to say. You are on assignment. And I know, and we all know in this room, that being a Christian in New England is a different animal than being a Christian almost anywhere else in this country. For sure. Yes. <laughs> but we're here by assignment. And don't take that lightly. And use your assignment for the glory of God. And believe that God can use you where you are so that you don't fall into this trap that you need to be somewhere where somebody else is in order to be, I don't know, blessed or used by God. So Paul says in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. And bondservants were slaves in those days. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called as a bondservant of Christ. Okay, let me just talk. We got to address this bondservant deal. Um, bondservants in the ancient Roman world and slavery in this country 300 or 200 years ago, was it 300, 200 years ago, somewhere around there, 300 years ago? You know, they are not equivalents. Uh, and we have to be clear about this. And and uh, as terrible as slavery was in the Roman world, this country really made slavery hideous. That was far worse. Uh, slavery in the Roman world was not chattel slavery. In other words, it wasn't that they went to other countries, kidnapped people from other countries, and made them slaves. Secondly, it wasn't ethnic slavery. It, it wasn't based on skin color. Uh, or what nation you belong to. Uh, thirdly, uh, slavery in the Roman world, the uh, predominance of people in the Roman world were slaves. It was a very few, like a very small percentage of the Roman world were freedmen. Uh, and free, you had to buy your freedom, and you could, you could purchase your freedom. And if you purchased your freedom or got out of slavery in the Roman world, all your children were free. Uh, for, for perpetuity. So that's all, all those things kind of really separate it from what we understand in our history books as slavery in this country. Mm. Don't make an equation, please, throughout the scriptures, please don't do this, especially in the New Testament. Do not make equivalencies between first century Roman slavery that Paul addresses and uh, United States history slavery or westernized slavery of the last three centuries, of three centuries ago, because they are definitely as far from equivalence as possible. That being said, all slavery is bad. And you sometimes people say, well, why doesn't Paul say stop being slaves? He says, don't concern yourself if you're a bondservant. What he's saying is um, there are some people that can get out of slavery, and they should, and there's some people that can't. They can't get out of this bondservant kind of slavery, and they can't overwhelm themselves with concern that if if they don't get out, they can't serve the Lord. Paul says, no, don't let that be uh, another way that you say, well, I, I I'm useless in this position and God can't use me until I'm out of it. Yeah, right. so in other words, in relation, in context of today's um, culture, culture, what, what would you 
equivalize that with? Well, I'd say like, okay, say you're a hairdresser and you have to be a hairdresser, you know, right. or say you're a janitor and you have to be a hairdresser. You got to feed your family and you got to do that job. And, and man, maybe you dream of being a business owner, but you're a janitor. And right now you got small children, you need to put food in their mouths. You got a wife, you got to put food in her mouth. You got to take care of your family and all that kind of stuff. And right now it might not be advantageous for you to leap out and start a business. You got to make a paycheck. Right. And so don't fall for this lie that you have to, you can only be used by God if you can get out of being a janitor or be out of being a hairdresser and not to demean those professions at all. Some people are perfectly happy to be janitors and hairdressers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. My point is, and I think Paul's point is, God can use you where he's you placed yeah. you. Right. You know. And and and, and we and the and the church needs you there because hairdressers need to hear about Jesus, and janitors need to hear about Jesus. What would you say about somebody who's like um, working in a bar, like a Christian who's working? That's in a, a good bar. question. Yeah, I'm just curious. I know. know it's a good. Well, truth be told, when I was in Bible college, I went to work at a bar. <laughs> I worked at a bar. Don't let, uh, oh, Don't the let them truth, know that. The truth is coming out now. Oh my word. Um, yeah, I was a bar back. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't a bartender. I was a bar back. And that means I, I brought the beers from the, from the fridge to the back of the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing about it is, is, uh, there are certain professions that are definitely off limits. Like you shouldn't be a porn producer <laughs> if you're a Christian. Um, you, Although you, the argument could be made that you could be witnessing. I don't think so. <laughs> no. I don't think so. The product is no. so destructive. No, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, you shouldn't be involved in, um, uh, I'm just trying to think of other, like, oh, you shouldn't be an astrologist and a Christian. You shouldn't be, um, you know, a, a Buddhist temple priest. <laughs> <laughs> be a Christian or whatever. There's all kinds of professions out there that the product is so detrimental to human society. Christians want nothing to do with that. Hmm. Um, and you need to get out. Bar, you know, bartender is a, I man, that's a gray area, more black for me. Like I would say, if you're a bartender and you're Christian, you know, try to maybe find another means of employment. But again, if you can't, if you can't, you can't get obsessed with it. Uh, be the best Christian bartender you can possibly be. <laughs> a bartender's handing alcohol out to people. He's not making them become drunk and obnoxious and, and you know, wanting to fight people. Yeah, and there's also, like, a level of skill involved to yeah. do that. So if they're, like, That's really true. good at that. Right. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who are really they write, struggling. struggle. Yeah, what do you yeah. say, Cheryl? You asked my opinion. What would you say? I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, I know that there are people that come here that... We do have bartenders in our church. Mm -hmm. I don't want to judge them. No, no. Yeah. And a lot of them are new Christians. And it's not like, okay, you you became a Christian yesterday. Quit your job tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, what does Paul say here? If you look at the text, he says, if you can gain your freedom, do so. So he's like saying, yeah, if you can get out of that job, do it. But don't let what you can't get out of uh, restrict you from being salt and light in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say. You know, um, going on, verse 22, he says, for he who is called in the Lord, this is just a principle, overlying principle. He says, for he who is called in the Lord, in other words, if you know you are called by God and you are a bondservant or you are a bartender or you are something that you can't get out of right now, spiritually, you are a freedman of the Lord. In other words, your life is, first of all, set free to glorify God wherever you are. Likewise, 
he who is free when he is called is a bondservant of Christ. So Paul kind of flips the script here. He says, hey, freedmen, don't be boasting about how you're free and you're not a bondservant. You are actually a spiritual bondservant of Jesus. And bondservants, don't be so worried and so obsessed with where you are in life because you are freed in Jesus. He sums it all up by saying, verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. Mm. Now, uh, I just have a big point that we'll get to marriage and, and singleness. The big point is this. In Christ, you aren't what life or society categorizes you as. You are what God makes you for God's purposes to be accomplished through you. So don't get obsessed with not being where you think you should be. It's a trap. It's assignment envy. And you will occupy many hours of this thing up here thinking about what you should have and where you should be and what you should do instead of focusing on what you do have, where you are, are, you, are you and what you can do. Are you spiritually Yeah, okay. well, I'm just, it was practically and spiritually because you're practically going to do jobs that aren't very spiritual, but you can still use that non-quote-unquote spiritual job to spiritually affect people's lives. And I say this, and Martin Luther was famous for saying this, um, a, shoesman, a shoemaker came to him and said, you know, I'm a shoemaker. You know, how can I be a better Christian? How can I be a better evangelist for Jesus? And he said, make better shoes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wasn't study your Bible and chapter and verse people to death. You know, it wasn't witnessed more. It was just make better shoes. You know, we got Jeremy over here at the podcast today. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, We don't have a, we don't have a camera angle for Jeremy today. Sorry about that, friends. But he's right over there. Trust me. He's there. (laughs) And he's a volunteer at our church and he works at Fox 25 in the news department, and he came in because he wanted to be part of the magic here at the Deep End Podcast. (laughs) And um, he uh, uses, this is so fantastic, he uses his gifts that he uses uh, at Waters Church in media with you, Michael, in Mm -hmm. the back rooms with us for the cameras and all that stuff, and then he does that professionally. Hmm. And, And it's not like we say, oh, Jeremy, shame on you for doing it professionally. You should really do it more only for the church. No, go and do it professionally to the glory of God and be a witness at Fox 25. Right. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, Cheryl, your mom is a hairdresser. Yes. And she runs her own shop, and she does so to the glory of God. I mean, yeah. this this is we cannot fall for this trap of you have to be a Christian professional to be used of God. That's old school Christianity, and that's lady clergy, lady clergy thing. Yeah, in a lot of churches, and you come from a past, uh, maybe maybe many of you watching come from a church like this. There's the laity, which are the kind of pe- you know kind of important people, and then there's the clergy in the church. They're really important people. Well, those two terms, laity and clergy, are not biblical terms. Those are church tradition terms. The Bible calls us a priesthood of believers. Priesthood of believers. Every believer a priest. <laughs> and a priest is a go-between between man and God. And where you are, bartender, janitor, Fox 25 producer, wherever you are, you are a priest of God connecting people to God through the light that you live in Jesus. Mm. Amen. Yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> Let's get to the next section because we've got to talk about what we're here for, which is marriage and singleness. So in light of what he has just said about this assignment envy, I want to get out of whatever and I want to live this kind of life because then I can really be used by God. He now goes back to people in um, um, romantic relationship uh Uh, categories. And the first person that he addresses is the people who are betrothed or engaged. And he says this, now concerning, verse 25, the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think, and notice that he's saying, this is not from the Lord, and I'm just 
thinking this is my you know advice to you. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Um, and, and he says all this, and it sounds kind of contradictory to everything else Scripture says about marriage. Like, because he's almost kind of saying, don't get married. Yeah. You know. Like, stay out of it. Yeah. So, Michael, <laughs> got bad news for you. You're on the wrong track. No. No, stinking. <laughs> okay. Context matters. I say this all the time. Every time I preach almost, I'm saying, guys, context matters. Who did he write this to originally? Because look what he says in verse 26. In verse 26, he says, I think that in view of the present distress. So this is a contextual advisement. This is not a this is not a global statute for the church for generations. This is a contextual advisement to the Corinthians in the first century. The present distress. What what present distress? Well, if you read up on this, you know, there's there's good evidence that a couple of things were happening in Corinth at the time of Paul's writing. Number one, there was a severe famine in the city. There's a massive earthquake that had just rocked the city. And there was a grain shortage um, uh, nationally in the Roman Empire. So you got three things. Famine in the city, a national crisis with grain shortages, and then you have a problem with this massive earthquake that just hit your city. So add those three things together, present distress. And in that time, in that distress, Paul says, in light of these, this season, it might not be the best idea for you to upend your life and change it, either getting married or getting uh, having children or whatever. This And it will cause many problems in the present distress. Now, this is biblically um, uh, this is biblically paralleled to the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time where Israel was about to go into exile into Babylon for seventy years, and he's doing his job and he's telling the people about what God's going to do. And then he and then God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah sixteen verse two, He says, "Don't be taken a wife, don't have sons and daughters, because this land is being handed over to the Babylonians." So God advises Jeremiah. Avoid avoid marriage and family because this season is not gonna you know not gonna be good for it, um, and there are times Christians when marriage and family will be more strain than is good for you. Mm-hmm. Now we have not experienced an earthquake, and we are not experiencing a food shortage. In fact, the economy is very good right now, and and we do not we do not have a famine. So the question is. Should some people still avoid marriage? And I think that this is on a microcosmic level. Mm-hmm. The question can be yes and the question can be no, which brings me to my point. And we can talk about this. There are proper times for marriage and family in your life. And people who are Christian, you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you and give you discernment in this regard. And please, in, your, in the comments section on Facebook, please ask questions. We invite you to ask questions. It might not be right for you to get married where you are personally in your life. It might be perfectly fine. If you're recently married, it might not be right for you to jump right into having kids. It might be perfectly fine. If you're single, don't let the, uh, don't let the pressures of getting married sink into your spirit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you guys can talk to this a little bit. Yeah, like, um, you know, that it's always an ideal situation. I mean, it's always like a 
especially in my age of my age group um this like idea of getting married or finding the the one yeah um and so that can really like become a driving factor in your life um like a focal point and um becomes an idol it becomes an idol yeah and it drives your social situations it um determines who you hang out with and if you're just always trying to attain right. that then yeah it drives it drives everything almost mm-hmm. Yeah. And it becomes a controlling influence. I yeah. think an example of maybe not an ideal situation of getting married, maybe not spiritually, but like somebody who's going into the military. That's a good who's one. Who's like going to be going into battle. Battle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how hard would that be for to have a family to worry? In fact, not that that doesn't happen and can, but I'm just yeah. saying it's so much easier if you're single not to have to have that worry. That's true. So that's just one example that and I can think of. Yeah, and in fact, in the law, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, actually God says uh, to the men who get recently married, for one year, don't go to battle. If you're in the military and you get married, one year uh, furlough, which is fantastic, right? You know, what's God saying? I don't want you to jeopardize your family life for your professional life. Mm -hmm. Or even somebody who's like very career driven. If you're going to be somebody who just wants to advance in your career. Yeah. You don't have time. You might not want to get married. I know because when you get married and Cheryl and I, we know this, when you get married, you have got to think about what that other person wants all the time. (laughs) No longer are you able to just go ahead and do it because you want to, you got to consider somebody else and they have a different upbringing than you and they have a different personality than you. And, uh, you know, somebody once equated marriage is, uh, here's what God does with marriage. He takes two people who are completely different and think they know each other and locks them in a room together <laughs> and throws away the key <laughs> and says, figure it out, you know? Yeah. And you get to know each other and you think, well, why didn't I know, why didn't I know this when I was dating you? Because you can't. You can't know somebody that intimately when you're dating. I don't care what anybody says. It's... The marital process. And even when you cohabitate, I don't care what anybody says about this too. When you cohabitate and you always have that, like the doors open, that's what I call cohabitation. You, you haven't let God lock the door. The well, door's actually, always open. The statistics even show that if you cohabitate before marriage, the chances of divorce, divorce are higher. Go much higher. Go up. Yeah, because you leave the door open. Yeah. And now you've brought your mentality, you've, you've baptized your mentality about the commitment in this relationship to, well, we've got door open mentality here. Yeah, the door is always open. Yeah, and it's like, like oh, well, we can just divorce now because that's how we that's how we arrange in the beginning. And it's like, man, don't fall for that as 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 people. And what Paul's trying to do for Christian people here is, you got to manage this. Um, I th- I was thinking about this concerning singles. Uh, there might be that pressure on you as a Christian single to get married because sometimes. Uh, Cheryl, you know, we know that the Christian marriage is idealized as the ultimate expression of Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, once you're married, now you've arrived Christian wise. That's not true. The Christian movement was started by a single man named Jesus <laughs> and was perpetuated mostly by a single man named Paul, two single men. Uh, so it is, and Lydia in Philippi starts a church, uh, and she's a single woman. So, you know, you've got to realize something, that marriage is not always the best option for every Christian. Uh, and then there are some pastors, Mark Gunger being one of them, who says, get married young. Like, he's a big advocate of get married at 18, 19, because mm-hmm. he did. And I, I, I appreciate his sentiment, but... Uh, I've got statistics on my side. <laughs> and the statistics from the National Mar- Marriage Project at the University of Virginia found 
that yes, 45% of marriages do end in divorce, but the greatest percentage of those divorced marriages are those who marry before the age, marry before the age of 18 or who have dropped out of high school to get married or who had a baby together before marrying or they didn't finish their education before they got married. But don't you think that's more generational? Like Mark Gunger? People no, people oh. not being able to last in marriages the younger they get married because people are maturing later. Now, so you're saying, they're saying what? actually, this is a study that they're doing in Australia, saying that they should um, further adulthood to, I think, what did they say, age 27, 26? Oh, yeah, People because are, you need to develop mentally and emotionally before right, you get married. Right, but I mean, back when our parents, our grandparents were 18, yeah. they were adults. They were living on their own. They I were, know. Society has a lot to say about it. you're 18 years old. You're living in your parents' house. You're playing video games. 18, you're not, 28. That's what I mean. Sometimes 28, <laughs> you know? No, no, so, really. I don't know. I think it's, I think marriage, when you're young, marriage matures you very quickly. It too. does mature so you. There's an argument. There's a strong There's argument. a definite argument for that. You're right. But the thing about dropping out of you know high school or dropping out of college to get married might not be. No, I don't think you should drop out of co- high school to get married. But yeah, no, yeah, definitely not my high school. But what about college? I don't think you should drop out of college. No, I, I don't think my you should advice drop out of is college. get your education. But get then again, done. there's people that are going through college that are coming out with degrees and still <laughs> doing yeah. nothing with them. So this is true too. Mm-hmm. Get married and there's a lot of up in the up. air about this. But they do find predominantly that when you do sacrifice education for marriage you're not really setting yourself up for long-term success, especially if you know what you want to do. You know what I mean? And definitely the living together or having a baby together before marriage is a killer for your future marriage. You got to be careful about this. So there's proper times when you should marry. There's proper times when you should be single. And there's not every time, you know, is not always the right time to have a family. Uh, Michael and I went to the same college. Um, when Ooh. I went there, <laughs> stop being jealous. Uh, when I went there, it was like only a Bible college. Now oh. it's now it's more of a you know. It was holier then. It was holier then. Oh yeah. really? Yeah. We they, we they really produced really great men back then. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> when Michael went, it was more. They had a lot more alternative educational um, programs. But the point is that it was it's still kind of like a Bible college, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there you're was, not there, it's, it's just okay. Yeah, I have a minor in Bible. Yeah. Oh, you have a minor By in default. Bible. And so what it was, though, for us was it was this pressure cooker. I, we had this experience. We were talking about this in the pre-meeting. This pressure cooker for marriage. Like women went to that Bible college to get married to a Christian man. Mm-hmm. And men who were called to ministry went there because I got to get my wife. And then... <laughs> by spring. <laughs> by spring. <laughs> now, I had a fam... I had a... A few friends that fell for this. I had a friend that actually he started dating a girl at freshman orientation. Okay. Wow. Our first year. <laughs> who had just broken up with another friend of mine who was also a freshman with us. Mm. And do you know what happened? We went away on Thanksgiving break. We all came back. They had gotten engaged. Freshman year Thanksgiving break. <laughs> they got married between freshman and sophomore year. And the, I hate to say it's sad, sad to say this. Their marriage lasted like, like six years. Hmm. And it's just sad. Yeah. And you got to realize that there is a season for when marriage is right and there's a season for when it's wrong. Don't fall into the pressure. So the cooker. moral of the story is don't date Christian men in Bible college. Yeah. <laughs> That's date the simple heathens. moral because some of those guys are heathens. Because I didn't get divorced and I married, dated a bunch of heathens. We got married after college. You know, we did. And I didn't date all during college. Uh, for that reason, I wanted to get my education. I wanted to finish my school studies and get you know going, and then let the Lord bring a marriage along when he, when when the 
door opened and you know the door did open but there's always those seasons where you need to say no to these things and i think that this brings me to point number two your goal christian if you're single should not be to get married and you said it too michael you let everything about getting married influence everything else like who you hang out with Mm -hmm. what you do with your time uh, who you get to know and who you don't get to know. How involved in the church do you get and how not involved in the church do you get? Yeah. There's so many people that get really involved in the church until they get married and then they, they're gone. Or until they get until engaged. They, even in a relationship. Even in a, yeah, even in a relationship. And then we never see them again. Mm-hmm. Now we can't schedule for anything because you've accomplished your goal. Right. I mean, let's be honest. You made an idol out of finding a significant other and now you found them and now... What need do I have to do all those things that I did to get that person to marry me or like me? I don't need to do it anymore. Careful, because you will upend your assignment and your calling in God. Now Paul is going to say some curious stuff in verse 29. He's going to say, this is what I mean, brothers. And I always love when Paul says this is what I mean, because then we can know. What does he mean? The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. We'll talk about that. Very strange sentence in just a moment and let those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away two big contextual pass uh, phrases in this section he says the appointed time has grown very short and then he says the present form of this world is passing away and he brackets all those other things with those two phrases and that's for a reason because Paul is now asking Christians to get a, an eternal perspective on their temporal realities. I want to say that again. He's asking Christians to get an eternal perspective on their temporal realities. In other words, Christian, if you're a Christian, you will live maybe 80 years in this age. Maybe. Now, I know that this present age that we live in has gone on since Christ died and rose again for 2,000 years. We're in 2017, 2018, I'm sorry. It's about, been about 2,000 years since Jesus inaugurated the church age. Okay. But out of that 2,000 years, you're going to get 80. That's not very much. That's what he means by it's very short and it's passing away. So don't live just for this age. This is a basic Christian principle. Don't live just for this age. There's eternity You've got to think about. So live in the light of the eternity to come. And this should change your entire approach toward everything in your life. Thus, the very strange phrase, let him who has a wife live as though he had none. (laughs) Now, if you just take that passage out of context, you can say to all the married men, oh, goody, I get to act single. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's not saying that. He's saying don't let the temporal reality, your marriage, uh, upend the perspective that you should have, which is this life is not the end. There is a life to come. Let me get personal about this because until we land this plane on the ground, this makes this is ethereal Christianese. I want to take it away from the ethereal Christianese and bring it down into the nuts and bolts of our culture. Um, if you're married and you are maybe not as happy as you wish you could be in that marriage, you have to realize that this marriage is going to end in this age and the eternity to come is going to be far more glorious than anything you could ever imagine. So don't then, though, let that 
that that discontent upend the fact that wait a second that marriage and this life is not the end of you if you do you are living just like the world because the world needs to make this life count it's all they got the non-christian makes needs to make this present age be everything they need it to be and there therein they need to be selfish and me-centered and all about their happiness because this is all that they got and they don't have the world to come. Christian, that's not you. You don't have to live holding on to everything and you don't have to have the perfect marriage now because you're gonna get the perfect life later. And this should release you to be, to be content just, with where you are. But just to make it clear, you don't have to be in an abusive marriage. Never. Right. Okay. In fact, I, have, I know that that's what you mean, but I yeah. just want anybody to take thank you that for the clarity. But it's a very relevant clarity too. I had a woman come up to me who said her daughter was in an abusive relationship. What should I do? I said, get her out of there. Yeah. Call the police. You know, get her out of there with whatever legal means necessary because she should not be living in that. And and uh, she said, well, my my daughter feels like she deserves it. No, you don't. My, my heavens, you do not deserve that. Get out immediately. I can't stress that enough. So thank you. Because I do think some people, especially women, will spiritualize it and say, you know, I just got to suffer for Christ. Yeah. Or I got to. Or I deserve it. Like right. she's saying. No, you don't. And no, that's not suffering for Jesus. That's abuse. It is illegal. Or they just. And it's disgusting. By no means think it's allowed. Divorce is allowed. Do you know yeah, what I mean? That, yeah. I know there's some churches that do that to people and it's not right. I mean, man, get get out. And uh, so that's good balance for what I was just saying. But that's why Paul says those very confusing words about, you know, live as though you don't have a wife and live mourn as though you're not mourning. Of course, we mourn as Christians, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Mm-hmm. You know, First Thessalonians. And of course, we rejoice, but we don't rejoice as if, like, like, oh, the Patriots won this past Sunday. And and, and I got to say this because it's relevant to our day and age in our community. Because some Christians, if the Patriots lose, they lose all sense of self. <laughs> they literally lose their minds. They go bananas. And like, you are acting just like the world. It, I'm all for rooting for the Patriots. Woo-hoo, you know, go Patriots. But man, if they lose and I and I lose my everything about like happiness and joy, I, I got to check my Christianity. I got to check words, my faith. Tim, Pastor Tim. Clash oh, of Clans. Three yeah, words, actually. Clans. <laughs> all right. Okay, thank you. You know, this is the last time you're on this podcast. Thank you very much. But Just you know, saying. what you have to called see. Out. Yeah, call it out. What you have to see Paul saying is the next age must inform this age. The next age must inform this age. And so don't let temporal things uh, be your everything. They, w- they can't be your everything. You can't take it with you. You're, you do not, therefore, have to be completely satisfied think, with though, it. I think, though, in this culture, it's children. Yeah. People are acting as if they're kids. That's a good point. Literally are everything. That's a great point. They are, and they sacrifice their faith on the altar of their, of their kids' happiness. There are some parents, and we've had these parents in our church, oh, we can't tithe. We got to pay for our kids, this, that, the other thing. And I was like, wait, you don't have to pay for all that. I know it might be like, this is like heresy to some parents. You don't actually have to pay thousands of dollars on their Christmas presents. Right. And if you're paying thousands of dollars on Christmas presents for kids and you're not tithing, you are worshiping at the altar of your kid's happiness because you have falsely believed that their happiness is everything 
to your existence. Mm. That was a thank you for bringing that up, Cheryl. Maybe you will be back on this podcast. <laughs> well, I'll think about it. I'm not gonna make any promises. <laughs> the the point is 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 uh, you know it is universal for the church that there are some things that you've got to say. I might not be happy with that. It might not be what I want it to be. It's okay. This is not my only life. I get eternity in heaven. So let's almost conclude here. Verse 32, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. In other words, I I don't want you to be so stressed out. Because if you think, if you make your marriage everything to you in this life, you're going to stress yourself out and you're also going to stress out your spouse and your kids and you'll probably end up in a bad way. He says, the unmarried man is is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So you can give more time to the Lord if you're not married. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And that's just true. That's just a that's just a practical truth. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, he's saying, you know, if you're single, uh, you're it's good because you're not anxious about pleasing your husband or pleasing your wife. You have more time to please the Lord and to give your life to the Lord. And and by doing that, I don't mean just pray and fast all day. I mean, you know, <laughs> develop yourself, uh, serve, you find your gifts, your talents, develop your education, all those kind of things. You have tons of time. Cheryl and I know firsthand that marriage and family take time and emotional energy right oh, out of yeah. your life. Saps the Saps the life out of you. Life out of you. <laughs> More you than me. Do, uh, do you no. care to expound? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. Okay. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we know, we know, and you, and you married people know. So um, there is a right time to be married and start a family, and then there are times when you shouldn't, and don't make marriage like the goal of your life. Let's get going forward, verse 30, 40, uh, 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and now he's talking about the people who are engaged, if his passions are strong, in other words, if he can't control his sexual drive and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry, he has not sinned. Okay, again, marriage is not a sin ever, but he's saying here that, um, uh, well, first marriage, <laughs> one man, one woman, is never a sin. But what he's saying here is, uh, you know, if you want to get married, you're in, in the present distress. It's okay. That's not sin. It's just he's advising them in the present distress not to. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will dwell. In other words, if he can postpone marriage until the distress is over, if he can wait and and remain sexually pure as you wait until the proper time is right for you to marry, then do that. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains does even better. And it just brings me to all, all of this really quickly. To point number three, as we wrap this up, do not let external pressures out there, whatever they be, church pressures, family pressures, um, you know, life occupation, life status pressures, create internal anxiety about your marital status or your single status. Don't let that happen because you'll make terrible decisions. Uh, and your life will be hindered. And um, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, Michael, you and I, and, and Cheryl too, we all come from the Christian upbringing where... Oh, thanks for including me on that. Yes, we all come from <laughs> and the... Cheryl. And Cheryl, <laughs> since you're here, I guess I'll mention you. We all come from a Christian upbringing, and we all saw marriage as a good thing that we should do. 
non-Christians or people from a non-Christian upbringing are actually getting the opposite message, mm-hmm. I think, more today. Oh, you know, marriage is, you know, is a real pain. Even television and movies, you know, projected as like the end of life or a ball and chain. We throw that around, you know. Um, today's romantic comedy ends with them, you know, moving in together, not getting married. Uh, I think about, this is an old one, but Along Came Polly, you know, mm-hmm. that movie where He's so obsessed with marriage, and then the girl cheats on him on their honeymoon. And then, you know, he kind of goes after the next girl, and she doesn't want to be married because her parents had this terrible marriage. And, and so she falls into that category of a lot of people today. Well, my parents really were terribly married, and the, um, I'm scared of what will happen to me, so I, don't, I want to avoid it altogether. That's, another exter- that's just another form of an external pressure that you're allowing to create internal anxiety. Don't fall for that either, as Paul's saying, because your assignment is from God, and it might not be perfect, but it is your assignment, and it is a good one for you, and uh, for good or for bad, if you have a good perception of marriage or a bad perception of marriage, what I'm saying is, what he's saying is, don't let wherever you come from hinder what God could do in you. Right. Amen. So in summary, and we always like to summarize the three points again, avoid assignment envy. There is a proper time for marriage and family. Number two, the goal of a Christian, the goal of Christianity is not to get married. And number three, we've said it again, don't let external pressures create internal anxiety about marital status. You guys have anything else you want to add? Any questions? No, we don't even have any questions. Any questions? Oh, no questions. Uh, no questions. I thought Michael was going to share a little bit about how he and That's right. I didn't even get Lauren. to that. Lauren. You know, Michael, that's actually why we have you on the podcast, because you are recently (laughs) engaged uh, engaged and getting married, and you met her here at church. Uh, Mm -hmm. You actually baptized Lauren. I did. Yeah, I had that honor. Um, Yeah, so really, she, I I saw her really right right through her salvation experience, and um, she joined my small group right away, like the, after the week, sorry, the week that she went to her first service at Waters, and um you know, she raised her hand um, during, at the end of the message and, uh, like, knew that this was the thing that she needed to do, to pursue. And um, Small so, group or you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Christianity, yeah, really. Um, and so um, I've seen an incredible transformation in her life. Um, but, uh, yeah, just over getting to know her, we became really good friends and uh, in the small group. Um, we're all pretty close in our small group, um, and uh, but something stuck out about her, and uh, it caused me to want to pursue a relationship with her. Yeah, um, and I pursued pretty hard. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. Uh, you know, she turned me down quite a few times for uh, to go on a date, um, and you know that upset me. But uh, um, I have a good friend, and uh, he was you know, encouraging me to be more Christ-like. Um, and so it really was a challenge for me and a grow, a really uh, big growing experience for me in my social life, um, in my family life, um, in my work life to um, build up how I love people mm. and um, to be selfless like Christ in that love um, and not be expecting return. Mm, that's good. And so... Um, yeah, it uh because I stuck with her, um you know, those raised some flags for her um and made her more interested in me over time and actually in 
she didn't realize it really until she left for Italy. She went to Italy for three months. And while she was away, like halfway through her trip, that's when she came to the realization that... Um, she missed you. Yeah, she missed she me liked a lot. You. She liked me a lot. And um, yeah, so we actually started dating while she was in Italy. Mm. Um, we talked every day. Um, that's long distance that, right there. Long distance, yeah. <laughs> and then when she got back, you know, it just took off. That's great. Yeah. I mean, and... Again, a lot of the things that you said was really important and really um, relevant to what we just talked about. You focus on yourself, mm-hmm. that Christ-likeness being formed in you. You know, what if she had said yes the first time you asked her and you had never had that process to um, let God start to chisel into your spirit, and into your heart, more Christ-likeness in your response. Right, and there was actually a moment where um, it was kind of a scary moment because I had it we had been you know talking and and um, she was in Italy at the time and we'd been talking and I just kept like there was this thing building up in me that um, I'm like what is this like what am I doing like because I wanted to find and I like something to call this like are we dating yeah. is this a thing like what am I going to get out of this and um, so I got frustrated and we had a conversation and like it actually felt like we broke up by the end of the conversation and we weren't even dating. Um, and so it was at that time that I went and visited my friend and he, um, that was just a like, don't just like, don't uh, just keep loving her. Just like Christ loves us eternally. Like he, um, he loves selflessly without, um, without, you know, return, without, without expecting, expecting in return. That's in return. Right. And um, so, yeah, just keep trying to, to do that and build, you know, build These that are, up. And, this is great advice for anybody who's single out there to just have that attitude of I'm going to do what Christ asks me to do and live for Christ selflessly as Christ lived for me instead of putting pressure on people to fulfill that need of I want a spouse or I want this or I want that. Right. You know? And so in that relationship with, with Lauren, whether or not she chose me, whether even yeah. if she started dating another guy, nothing changes. You still love that person the same way. You're free. You're free. Yeah. And that's exactly what Paul wants for us, what the scriptures want for us Christians, to get that freedom where we don't set these things up as the ultimate expression of life. Mm. And we can let God do a work in us. If you're single, great advice. What Michael just mm-hmm. shared, great uh, testimony for you. If you're married, and especially I have, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's married people out there who your marriage is not everything you wanted it to be. Or it's not what you what it was, or it's it needs a lot of work. You know that's common, first of all, and you, you got to do what Michael did as a single man, as a married person. Love them selflessly, and see you've got two ways to go, Christian. You got your way and the world's way, or you got Christ's way. <laughs> one of those ways always works. Do it the one, do it the way Christ would do it, because that's who you are. You are a Christ follower. And you are a representative of him on the earth. Cheryl, final thoughts? Um, I agree with everything you say. (laughs) That makes for a good marriage right there, people. (laughs) That makes for a terrific marriage. I I actually just wanted to say something about Lauren, because I think that it was pretty amazing that she joined a small group. I don't think, obviously, her intention wasn't to find a guy because she turned you down. Right. So that speaks about her, you know, how she found what she wasn't even looking for. Yeah, she was following Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. 
instead of following a boyfriend, a mm-hmm. potential boyfriend. And she met a nice guy, a good guy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And um, her first Sunday, she told me this on Sunday because she was the backstage hand, was our, um, our last Sunday in the, old, the building. old building. Yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty cool. So and that, I mean, I just think that's great because it right there just shows both of, especially from her perspective, like, okay, I wasn't even really looking for that. And, I, and, I, and the Lord brought it about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl and I, we weren't looking for. Well, you were. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord brought it about. And it was a good thing. And it, you've got to put God first in your relationships. And, I, you know, there, there's a, just for me to, to say one last time to people who are, you know, you're not listening to me right now. And I know who you are. <laughs> you're those people who you're single right now and you're just so certain that if you could just get that person to date you or if you can just find someone who will date you that you're attracted to, they're attracted to you, uh, you're good. Um, okay, you got, you've got to listen to me and Cheryl here. Marriage does not solve all your problems. It actually creates more of them. <laughs> it actually reveals a lot of the things that are in you that you can hide because you're not married yet. And so you are actually chasing an idol that will turn around and bite you. And you shouldn't do it. At the same time, marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's a beautiful thing when two people serve Christ in the marriage. Mm-hmm. So learn in your pursuit of marriage to serve Christ now so that when you get married, you can serve Christ then and watch God do a miracle in your life. The thing is, is that Michael is not done being Christ-like, mm-hmm. you know, no. <laughs> now that you got the girl to marry <laughs> you, right? Yeah. And we're not done being Christ-like just because we've made it 17 years to in marriage. 18. You, no, it's not yet 17. It is going to be 18. It's going to be 18 in October. But it's the 18th year. I know. I remember. We already talked about this. That's a, Yeah, it's quite a ways away. You got most was, of the years It's 17, months, 17 years and two months. Okay. It feels like 18. <laughs> it feels like 18. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Pray for me, listeners. Um, so we have to continue to say, Father, help me to follow Jesus in whatever situation I'm in and trust you with the results. Friends, this has been a great time together. Thank you, Cheryl, for joining us one more time to talk about these things. Thank you, Michael, producer Michael. Thank you for joining us. This was The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We're located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.